Well, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We, in these difficult times, have heard so much about uh, faith and trust and uh, God's faithfulness and the, the times that we live in, the difficulties that we face. And, and so those things have been on the mind of people these last few months, maybe more than ever. And uh, I, I can't help but think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when I think about that. Many years ago, back when I was preaching revival meetings, uh, traveling around over the country, and uh, I don't know about here, but in Missouri and Tennessee and, uh, and Kentucky, uh, there, there was a sort of, sort of a, I don't even call it a tradition or what, but uh, when the, somebody was preaching a revival meeting, uh, there would be a lot of the members, especially teenagers back then, they want you to sign their Bible. And so I always signed uh, my name in the Bible and, follow, and, and followed it with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, when you do that and you pastor a church, and uh, a lot of times you're sending cards or whatever, and, uh, and you have eight, eight children and 37 grandkids, uh, over the years... What I'm trying to say is I'm certain that I have written Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 after my name way over a thousand times, no telling how many times. And I've done so because these verses have been among my very favorite verses in the Bible. And I'm sure many of you would say the same thing. They're popular because they are so very practical. And so I want us to look at these two verses tonight, and, uh, and hopefully we'll leave here just reminded that our God is trustworthy. Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The famous preacher G. Campbell Morgan uh, many years ago said that whenever he was leaving home to go out on his own that his father pressed a little note in his hand and uh, didn't really comment on it or anything and and so he took it and knew it was a farewell message that his dad wanted him to read so when he got in a private place he unfolded the note and it simply said this in all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And, and when he looked back on that even years later, he was reminded of the fact that there was no text written down. He, he didn't know where it came from. There was no comment. And then he said this. He said, no comment except the comment of my father's godly life. And that spoke volumes to him, the godly life that his daddy had lived and, uh, and, and attributed that to, to these verses, that it was in the doing of these verses that he was enabled to live uh, such a godly life. And, and I think the same thing is true of each and every one of us. If we're going to live a life well lived, we'll talk about that later, if we're going to live a life well lived, if we're going to be an example of the believer, as the Bible tells us, then this is the path, this is the way, this is the means whereby that we can live that life that's pleasing to God. That man, that father, 
had discovered what a precious treasure this verse is, these verses are, and I hope you'll do the same. It's as I said this morning about another subject, it's so simple a child can understand it, but it's so sublime that even the scholars, most mature Christians can, can't really wrap their head around all of it, but we can rejoice in it. And it's provided hope and encouragement for millions of people down through the centuries. So all of us, I think, would agree that we are in desperate need of God's help. Not just because of the, of the pandemic, but because of life in general. Every single one of you can just look back over the last month, last year, whatever it is, and, and, and you can remember something that put you in dire need. It, it might have been an important decision you needed to make. It might have been a challenge. It might have been a responsibility thrust upon you. But whatever it was, you soon realized that I need God's help. And, and we need it for several reasons. Number one, we need God's help because of the complexity of life. I mean, life is difficult, by the way. It's complex. Secondly, we need it because of our ignorance of the future. We have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no clue what's going to happen later on today. We need it because of the demands of duty, the responsibilities that we have. And that might be as a parent. It might be as a, as a, as a worker somewhere or, uh, you know, as a Christian serving the Lord in church. So we, we need this strength that we derive from these verses for those reasons, but it, it all boils down to the frailty of the flesh. Our flesh is so, as Tennessee Ernie used to say, it's so cotton-picking, you know, cotton-picking frail that that we just, look, we couldn't, sir, well, I got the kids confused now, <laughs> talking about Tennessee Ernie Ford and cotton-picking, and I, I got to quit stuff like that. But uh, our flesh is weak. I, look, you can be 6'5 and 300 pounds and be able to bench press 600 pounds and all of that. But boy, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, the push and the shove and the real important crucial issues of life, you're as weak as a kitten. And all of us are. And so our text tells us what we must do. It commences with a command. This is the way it starts out. It commences with the command, but then I want you to notice it goes from that and continues on with counsel from the Lord, and then it concludes by speaking about the consequences. So we're going to look at those three things tonight, the command and the counsel that God gives, and then the consequences of doing as God commands. He begins with the command, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That word trust means to lean upon. Back in Missouri, we uh, still, even to this day, they've got a lot of wooden bridges. There's so many creeks and, and little rivers and what have you. And I can remember so many times, oh, old rickety wooden bridges, and you wondered, you know, am I going to make it across this thing or not? And uh, as an evidence of faith in it, you just drove right off, right off on that old wooden crickety bridge. And, and this is what he's talking about. When we trust in the Lord, we're leaning upon God. The idea is that we are resting 
upon something. That is, we're putting all of our weight upon it. We're confident that it won't let us down. And so when we talk about faith in God, we're saying, you know, I am confident that my God is not going to fail me in any way whatsoever. Have you ever thought about just the importance of faith in general? The fact that our society absolutely could not function without it. Faith is essential in every single area of life. And by the way, we all have faith in something. You hear people talk about, well, I don't, I don't have much faith. Oh, yeah, you've got a lot of faith. You've got faith in something all of the time. I mean, you think about it, you go to a doctor who's got a name that you can't pronounce and he gives you a prescription for a medicine that you can't even read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never met and he fills it and you pop that pill in your mouth because your faith is in them, right? Or you write out a check, you write out a check for a certain amount and you're trusting that the bank will have that money in the bank and they'll be able to cover the note, you see. And the list can go on and on. We all have faith in something. The real issue is the object of our faith. Faith in faith is absolutely worthless. Many years ago, uh, uh, Vincent Peale, Norman Vincent Peale, wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, you know, you, you can entertain positive thoughts about everything in life, and it might, I, I'll grant you, it might help you calm your nerves down. It, it might even have some uh, physical benefits to it. I don't know about that really, but I'm just guessing. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, it helps in some ways. But it doesn't meet our needs positive thinking and that's where the problem is a lot of people talk about i've got you know i've got a lot of faith and but their faith is in faith and that's that's no good it's faith the object and our faith in god that's what really makes a difference and if your faith isn't in god then it's misplaced we're commanded notice he says trust in the lord and if we don't do so Number one, it's rebellion against God. Because here's a command: trust in the Lord. A lot of times, we we just we know we have a faith failure. We know that our faith is on rock bottom, and that we're just not leaning upon the Lord. We're not trusting God as we ought to, and we know that full well. And yet, we dismiss it. Well, you know, I I just don't have enough faith to trust God for this or that, and uh, and we recognize that our faith is lacking. And then we turn right around and act like, well, it's not any big deal. Right? I mean, that happens all of the time. That's not a major issue. I didn't rob a bank. didn't cut anybody's throat. This isn't any great big sin. No, listen, it is. It's rebellion against God. We're commanded to trust the Lord. And if He commands us to do it, it's something that we could do if we would do. So it's rebellion against God and it's displeasing to God and if it's displeasing to God, then it's going to cost us in some way. We're going to lose out on the benefits of being obedient to God. Now, I want you to notice what God's guidance requires. He says, trust in the Lord, but he doesn't just stop there. He goes on and he says, with all thine heart. Looking at those two statements in this command, we see, number one, that it must be exclusive faith. Trust in the Lord. 
The psalmist said in the middle verses of the Bible over in Psalms 118 and verse 8, says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Some of us have learned that the hard way. You can't always trust man, but you can always trust God. We even printed on our, on our money that in God we trust. And by the way, that's the very thing that made America great. And if we expect God's blessings upon us as a people, as a nation, as a church, as a family or whatever, then we must indeed trust Him alone. It's exclusive faith. It's not trusting God and trusting something else. It's just trusting God. If you're trusting God, you don't need to worry about the other stuff because He's got it under control. But notice it's not only exclusive faith, it's entire faith. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You see, Solomon not only tells us who to trust, he tells us how to trust with all of thine heart. That speaks about total trust, complete confidence. You know, God has a lot to say about wholeheartedness. In fact, God speaks about and expresses his displeasure about half-heartedness. We're to love God with all of our heart, trust God with all of our heart, obey God with all of our heart, serve God with all of our heart. And look, if we fail there, we fail altogether. A lot of times we, we are not willing to you know, go the extra mile. We just want to do enough so that we can say that we did something and we're gullible enough to believe that God's going to be satisfied with that. We see exactly that in the book of Malachi, the very first chapter with the nation of Israel. They decided that they would just give God the leftovers. In other words, they are going through the motions, all of the rituals and things like that. But when it came to the offerings, instead of giving God the best sheep as a sacrifice, they've got one out there that maybe the wolves have attacked. It's been injured and it's going to die anyway. And they reason in their mind, I might as well offer that up because it's going to, it's going to be put to death. Why in the world, you know, I've got this, this blue winner that's going to win at the fair this year. I'll, I'll keep him over there. There's not any sense in me doing that. Or this other one's getting old and decrepit and he's going to die anyway. I'll offer that up to God. Now, that's the way they're thinking. That was the way that they were reasoning. By the way, they hadn't quit singing altogether. They hadn't quit conducting services. They were going through all of the motions, and the Lord said to them, offer, offer what you're giving me up to the governor and see if he accept, will accept that. Yeah, see, see if that's okay. You know, somebody decide, well, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to skip tithing this year. I'm just, I've been giving every year faithfully, year after year after year, and, I, and occasionally I even give an offering if there's missionaries there. And so, but I think this year I'm just going to skip a year. Try that with Uncle Sam and your taxes. See how that goes. Try it with Monkey Ward or Sears and Roebuck or somebody like that. See what they say when you say, well, I just decided, I know I've got this big account and I've been a faithful customer all of these years, but I've just decided for the next three or four months, I'm not going to make any payments. They're not going to accept that. Don't ever 
don't ever convince yourself that it's acceptable to God for us to doubt Him and for us to refuse to trust Him. Notice he says, with all of our heart, complete confidence in the Lord. And as I said, if we fail here, we fail altogether. Because nothing else we do is going to be acceptable to God. Think about that. Let it sink in. If we don't do it with our whole heart, it might make you feel good. It might impress others. But it's not impressive to God. He doesn't accept any of it. That bother the way you think about how we treat God sometimes? That we just give Him the leftovers. Rather than giving Him the very best we say here, Lord, I'll give you this. And God says, I don't want anything. I'm not going to accept even what you gave. Think about that. This is the command, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Now, now he moves from an outright command to what I consider to be counsel from the Lord here. And he says, and, and I want you to notice that in giving this counsel, he covers both the positive and the negative. He gives us a caution, first of all. Look at verse 5. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Let me tell you, this deals with one of our biggest problems. Because we all tend to depend upon human wisdom, and that is our natural reasoning instead of God. And, and that's a big mistake on our part. Proverbs 3 and verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Well, why would he say something like that? Well, here's the answer. Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. That's the reason why. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't depend on your own natural reasoning. You can't figure it out. The Bible teaches us, and this is a sermon in itself, the Bible teaches us that self-dependence is folly, rebellion, and it's destructive. We dare not depend upon ourselves. And if we're wise... We'll depend upon the Creator instead of the creature. We'll depend on God, not man. Uh, if, if, I, if I said, you know, if you want to be a real success in life, you have to reject your own understanding. Well, there's some folks that think, you know, that I was, that I was foolish. I could use some other words to describe that. But they would think, boy, I'm off my rocker reject my own understanding that doesn't even make sense i mean after all that is a blow to our ego it's an insult to our pride and yet that's exactly what we have to do rather than to look within for the answers we have to look to some outside source and that outside source is god and his word you see this is uh, this is the problem it's the same problem that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 7 where you got the, and he speaks about it in other places, the spirit warring against the flesh. And, and the flesh is always wanting to get its way and uh, resisting the spirit of God. And so you've got this warfare going on. 
And so we have on one hand our pride prodding us to listen to ourselves, your gut feeling, you know, go go with that. that you know, you've, you've never been wrong before, and so if that's the way you, and you feel strongly about it, why, that's what you ought to do. And the Lord comes along and says, no, I want you to do exactly the opposite of that. Don't you dare depend on your own understanding. Our dependence is to be upon the Lord because we never go wrong when we're following the Lord. Lean not. Remember we talked about trust in the Lord, that is lean upon the Lord. Now he says, lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, that's what gets us in so much trouble because we think about whether it's the pandemic, whether it's some other issue that we're going through. And so we try to wrap our mind around it and we try to understand something that is impossible for us to understand. He says, don't lean upon your understanding. A lot of times your understanding will tell you something uh, is bad for you. It's detrimental to your welfare. Oh, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. This is just awful. It's a horrible tragedy. That's not always true. Sometimes the, the most horrible thing that you imagine in your mind can be something that God uses to bring about some glorious blessing in your life. After all, did he not use the cross to provide salvation for us. So he gives us this word of caution, and then he moves directly to the the council. He says, in all of thy ways, acknowledge him. I can't emphasize enough how important that little word all is. Acknowledge him. Notice, in all of thy ways, acknowledge him. That includes every detail of life. Sometimes we sing that song, I Surrender All, as we did this morning. You know, we sing, I Surrender All, but we don't. But we don't. I reckon what God thinks about that. I mean, look, a lie is a lie, whether we're singing it or preaching it or, or just chatting with someone over coffee. A lie is a lie. Do you suppose that makes any difference to God if we sing, I surrender all, and we refuse to do that? God's expecting us to trust Him and obey Him in every single area of our life. It's not just the church part of our life. It's in every area of our life. We ought to be just as good a Christian on the job and in the school as we are in the church. And so he says, in all of thy ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge there means to know. It means to be acquainted with or it means to know by experience. That is to recognize or to consider. It's the very opposite of ignoring or being ignorant of something. The opposite of that. So he says, in all of thy ways... By experience, I want you to be acquainted and to recognize and to consider Him. That is the Lord Himself. You know, to, to, to really put that where we can get a good handle on it, I think maybe the best way to describe it is that what God's wanting here is an intimate relationship with us. I, I can't help but think about... You know, when you've been married 60 years, you 
think about what the Bible says from they, they twain shall be one flesh. And boy, after you've been married a long time, you know each other so well. You, you can nearly read each other's minds and thoughts, and it's just absolutely amazing. And, and it's because of that intimate knowledge between the husband and the wife, you see. That's what God wants with each of us. Not just a casual relationship, but that intimate relationship. And for that to happen, we have to focus on Him continually, and we have to consider Him in every detail of our life. So let me ask you, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? In all thy ways, you are acknowledging Him. Regardless of where you are and what you are doing, are you acknowledging God? The sad truth is that, that most folks are not doing that. They're like those it says in Judges, the very last verse of the last chapter. It said, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Think about that a little while. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine a world where everybody does that? That that's their philosophy? I don't see anything wrong with it. That's what I want to do. I, I, I'm just going to do it. I don't care what so-and-so thinks about it. I don't care who gets hurt by it. I'm, I'm going to do that. And in those days, that's the way, that's the, way the, the, the people, the part of that nation, that's the way they were living. And that's the way a lot of folks are living today. It's right in their eyes, and so that's what they do. Over in Psalms, the 10th Psalm in verse number 4, says the wicked. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of that group. Do you? The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Isn't that awful? And then he closes that by saying this. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. They go day after day after day without giving any thought to God. What a horrible way to live. And yet that's exactly the way a lot of folks live their life. They don't give any thought to God as to what they're going to do or why they ought to do it. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. They make choices without giving any consideration to God's command or God's counsel. Important decisions I'm talking about. And let me tell you, when you do that, it puts you in grave danger and sometimes in the grave. I can think back over the years, all these years as a pastor, and time and time again I can think about folks who strayed away by the way, you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm safe, there's no problem at all, but there is a sin unto death. We Christians can, can live in such rebellion against God that if chastising us does not correct us, he says, there's a sin unto death. It reaches the time where God says, enough is enough. And instead of you staying here, and bringing reproach upon my name, I'm just going to take you on, on home to glory. 
And a lot of times when we live a life without consideration for God's commands and his counsel, I said it puts you in grave danger and sometimes in the grave. And I can think of folks time and time again that wandered away. And in short order, they were dead. They were dead. I, I, I'll never forget, and this hadn't been all that many years ago, an incident having a conversation with a man in the parking lot. And he was telling me, you know, what he was going to do and what he wasn't going to do and what have you. And before the end of the week, that man was dead. I believe he was really, truly saved. I really do. Uh, but he hadn't been saved that long. But he had finally, after all of those years, come to trust Christ as his Savior. But he was refusing to listen to what God told him to do. And I could go on and on and on. I, I think of a fellow that many years ago there in Kentucky that uh, I was visiting him in the hospital. And he volunteered the information. He hadn't been church in a long time. He began to tell me the story about how that, uh, uh, how that they had been robbing God. They had lost their house. Their marriage was on the rocks and what have you. And he just flat out told me, I know what we're doing is wrong. And, uh, and he said, I know, I know, we, you know, I shouldn't do it. And it wasn't but just a matter of, I don't know, weeks or months, and he was dead. How sad it is that when God gives a command or God provides us counsel, that we have the attitude that I've got a better idea. I've got a better idea. You see, it's, a, it's that pride that causes us to think that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We've got it all figured out. We don't need God. And it's only when we get to that point that we humble ourselves and trust in God that we can really be safe and really be secure. Un listen, understanding is important. The Bible speaks about getting understanding. Understanding is important. But it must not be your understanding. That's where the problem is. It's understanding that we get from the Lord that we need, not our understanding. We're not that smart. We can't figure it all out. And so a life well lived is a life that requires a knowledge of the truth. Whenever, whenever you, you look at... at the verse before and after this verse. Now, we're in verse 6. Look back at verse 5, and there, what do we learn? Well, he tells us there we ought to rely on God and reject our reasoning. That is, reject our understanding. Well, we, we, look, we look at, at verse 7. We go beyond our immediate text. And there we learn we ought to reverence God and resist sin. And then right here, smack dab in the middle of this, we learn here that we ought to recognize God in all of our ways. That's, that's the key. That's the thing, putting all of the pieces together in this. It's so important that we do. It's so important, in fact, that he closes by speaking about the consequences. Verse 6, notice this is the very last part of it. And he shall direct thy paths. Every day we face 
difficulties and we're forced to make decisions, one wrong decision can lead to disaster. It can change your life forever. And that's why we need a promise like this. He said, and the Lord shall direct thy paths. That, that word direct means to, to be right. It means to be straight, level, upright, just, lawful, or smooth. I love what Matthew Henry said many years ago. He said, he shall direct thy path so that thy way shall be safe and good and the issue happy at last. Well, isn't that what we're all looking for? Happy at last. And he says, that's where you find it. This thrilling consequence is the result of confidence in God and total commitment to God. And that's what every single one of us needs. We're faced with all of these important issues, tough questions and decisions that will determine our destiny, where we're going to end up in a week or a month or a year. And we need the kind of help that nobody but God can provide. Back in the early 1960s when I worked for the Missouri State Highway Department, I worked on the project that built Highway 65 from Springfield, Missouri, uh, down to Branson. And, uh, boy, if you, if you know anything about that part of the country, it's just up and down. Those Ozark Mountains is up and down and winding. And, and you, you wonder how in the world are we going to build a road from Springfield down to Branson. Well, it wasn't easy. And as, as, it, as it happened... I was in from the beginning of that project till the very end of it, probably longer than any other human being I worked on that highway. I was there on the initial survey where we put the center line of the highway down through the woods. We didn't have chainsaws. We had a brush axe and, 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 uh, and uh, a double-bitted axe and so forth, and that's why we had to cut the survey lines and, and so we cut that line down through there, and then we had to put out the grade stakes. And throughout that entire process, and as it happened about that time, I was promoted from, from the survey team as to an inspector. So I worked out the rest of that project as an inspector, and this is over a five-year period. And uh, at the very end, the last few months, I quit the highway department and went to work for the contractor because he was wrapping up some odds and ends even after it had been approved and it was all over. And so I went to work for the contractor. Now, I say all that for a reason because I'm very much aware of what happened on that highway. Very familiar with it. And, and the whole thing is that they had to cut out of solid rock, solid limestone. And at that time, it consisted of the biggest cuts through rock in Missouri and some of the biggest anywhere, up like 100 feet of solid, solid limestone. So you'd have to take out 100 feet of limestone, blow it out with dynamite, load it up in trucks, get it down in the holler, and fill up the holler with what you blowed up in the mountain in order to make this thing level to where finally, finally it would be level enough that, you know, that you could, you could make it up the hills going to, to Branson. And you straightened it out as much as you could. In other words, it made it possible. It opened up the way that led down to Branson, this place of 
great pleasure, especially for us teenagers, and Bev and I was dating, go to Lake Tanicomo down there on, on the lake, and oh, it was so wonderful. But to the natural eye, you're faced with something that seems absolutely impossible. Now, I know you're not building highways, are you? But you're building a life. And a lot of times during the course of your construction, you're going to be facing things that seem absolutely impossible. How are we going to get through this? How will we ever solve this problem? And with all of those difficulties and dangers and what have you, we have to make decisions. And we know if we make one wrong decision, it's going to lead to disaster. And that's why we have to look to God for guidance and we have to be willing to follow wherever he leads. Let me, let me close by giving you something I want you to think about. Since our behavior reflects our beliefs. We agree with that? Your behavior reflects what you believe. And now if that's true, and it is, then I have to conclude that doing what we're told in these two verses is evidence of something. It is evidence, for example, that we know God's Word. Because if we're going to obey God, if we're going to acknowledge God, if we're going to follow God, we have to know God's Word. And so people that, that trust in the Lord, that acknowledge Him in all of their ways, it's an evidence they know God's Word. Secondly, they respect God's will. Thirdly, they trust God's wisdom. Number four, they walk in God's ways. They believe God's promise and they rely upon God's love. And if I could put all of that in one verse, it would be what we read in Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, our behavior is governed by what God would have us to do. Our steps. Our, by the way, we think about the journey of life that's made up in increments. All of these tiny steps along the way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And one misstep can lead to tragedy. Many years ago, I copied down a, a, a poem that I, I had in my other Bible before the flood. But here's what it says, and I close. He does not lead me year by year, nor even day by day, but step by step my path unfolds. My Lord directs my way. Tomorrow's plans I do not know. I only know this minute. But he will say, this is the way by faith. Now walk in it. And I am glad that it is so. Today is enough to bear. And when tomorrow comes, His grace shall far exceed its care. What need to worry then or fret? The God who gave His Son holds all the moments in His hand and gives them one by one. One by one. Think about that. Step by step. One by one. And it was the mention there of God's grace. Just knowing that it's sufficient. We, we don't need to worry about tomorrow. 
I've I've got so much on my mind and in my heart that I'd like to say, and really, last week I intended to preach a message that relates to this pandemic. All week long, again, I thought, I'm going to do that this week. In fact, last week I told you I was going to send it out by way of of an article. I never did that. I don't know why. God just not given me the liberty to do that. You know, but I'd really, there's some things I'd really like to talk about that relate to that. And whenever we think about all of those difficulties that we go through, it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fact that, you know, and I said the same thing last week. When this is over, it's not going to be over, folks. And I'm not just talking about the economy, the effect it has on our nation and your paycheck. It's not going to be over. It's not going to be over because it's going to have these residual effects, lingering effects in the lives of people. I, I can't help but wonder how long it'll be before we get to the place that we'll, we'll feel free to shake hands again and hug each other. You know, Dr. Fauci or whatever his name is, he has recommended that we never shake hands again. Really? Can you imagine that? Well, I don't know about him. He must not be a Baptist. We, we shake hands and hug necks and, you know. But, but I, I can't help but wonder. And, and, we, and it affects all of us. I stopped to get gas this week. What did I do? Got out my gloves. I, th- I think right now that's a smart thing to do at some point in time. At some point in time, we've got to get back to living. We really do. And, and this is one reason I think God had not given me the liberty to preach what I'm wanting to preach because I know some people are going to misunderstand it. But I'm telling you, there's, all, there's risk in everything we do in life. I'm going to get out there and get in that nice car that God gave me and drove, drive back home. I mean, that's my plan anyway. That's my plan, to go back home to the woman that I love more than anything on this earth and uh, sit there and just enjoy the company with her. That's my plan. And the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, that's where I'll be here in a little while. But I don't know that. I could fall dead uh, with a heart attack before I get out to the car. I could have a wreck out on that highway. There's risk in everything. So, folks, I'm just, I, that's why I want to challenge you. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Trust Him. You, you just take every precaution you want. But when it gets right down to it, if you don't trust God, nothing else is going to help you. Amen. Trust Him because He never fails. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand. And since we've got Tim here and our musicians, or one musician, Anyway, you just might want to come and pray tonight. You might want to just kneel where you're at. or I, I don't know, but just let God speak to your heart. And if there's something, some business that you need to take care of with the Lord, this would be a great time to do it. Especially, as I mentioned this morning, if you're not saved, and surely if you're in need of help of some kind, please let us know while we sing. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I 
forget Wednesday night 7 o'clock brother Kenneth will be here and uh, be teaching a great message from the book of Ruth and uh, there's so much in that little book that I know it'll be a blessing to your heart and I hope you'll join with us brother Rick Morse if you would please word our prayer tonight sir Father Lord we, we thank you dear God Lord for the privilege it is to be back in your house Lord God we thank you for the messages that we've heard today Lord God, I thank you so much for Jesus in us. And Lord God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you quickened us. And Lord God, that you then tonight, as we understand that uh, you've invited us, dear God, Lord, just to draw very close to you and to trust you and to depend upon you. And Lord God, that you promised to direct our paths. Father, Lord, there's a comfort and a peace in there that this world don't have and father lord i ask you to help us dear god lord to put aside self and to not deny ourselves these privileges that are ours as your children and father lord i ask you to help us to share the good news of jesus christ with lost souls dear god lord that they might also have this peace i pray lord god for our sick list i ask you just to comfort as only you can i ask you dear god lord please forgive us of our sins and we'll thank you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. 